Exodus chapter four. We have been in a sermon series um, saying, not me. All the reasons that we might say, not me, God. Not me, you somebody else. I would rather this be somebody else. I don't like the task. I don't feel like I'm, I'm able. Today, we're gonna look at the, maybe the feeling you would say, not me, God, because I'm not qualified to do that. Like, I'm not good enough at it. I'm just not able. I'm not capable. Uh, I know in, in a room like this that there have been times that God has called you to something and you say, Lord, I, I can't do that. I'm not good at that task. I'm not a good teacher. I'm not a public speaker. I, I, I'm just not able. You, there's somebody else who has to be better at that task. There's somebody else that has to be able to do it. In Exodus chapter four, we're kind of picking up in the middle of a story. What's happened is Moses was a child. They were killing all the children his age and his mom put him in a basket. He goes down the river. Uh, he would be raised by Pharaoh in the Pharaoh's home. Uh, he would be raised for 40 years there, learning all about Egypt, all about who they are. He would find out that he was a Hebrew and that his people uh, were being, they were now slaves and they're being abused. And so he would stand up to that. He wanted to start a, a movement. And, and what ends up happening is it leads to an accidental murder of one of the Egyptian uh, guards. And so out of fear, he runs and would go into the wilderness for 40 years. So now uh, Moses is about 80 years old. Uh, so some of you maybe even this morning would say, hey, I'm not able to do some of the things God's called me to do because of my age, because of physically, I don't have the energy, I don't have the time, I'm just not able to do it. Well, here's Moses, 80 years old, running from what the Egyptians would have said was murder, running from um, a, a past, running from fear, and he's out in the wilderness and he is married, he has children, and he is a shepherd. And I would bet you in a room like this that there's many people that can relate. Sometimes you go through things in life where you feel like the proper response is you just need a season maybe to hide. You just kind of need a season to kind of get away from people, get away from stuff, get away from your problems, and, and just kind of get out in the wilderness and hope that your issues or your problems don't chase you down. Well, Moses is kind of in this scenario. He goes from being in the Pharaoh's home to just out in the wilderness and out in the middle of nowhere in a hard job. Nobody really knows what's going on until one day God decides, I have a task for you. And he begins to speak to Moses through a burning bush. Now, I don't know how you guys feel, but I kind of feel like if a burning bush started speaking to me and talking to me and calling me to follow him and to do some things, I'd be like, you got it, okay, no doubt. Let's do this. But Moses immediately begins to reject this call. He's like, no, I, I'm not able to do this. I'm not capable. I have all of these reasons why I can't. And this is where we're gonna start out in this story. I know that there are many of you, when we talk about being a people that love and grow and sin, being a people that make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, being a people that are obedient to the call of God on our life, immediately these reasons why we can't do it come to our mind. You can relate to Moses. You're like, I have a past. I'm running from something. I, I, man, people know things. I'm not able. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the talents. And this is where God begins to speak. So today we're looking at not me. Man, I'm just not capable. I'm not able to do this. So start in chapter four, verse one. Moses answered, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you? So the Lord asked him, what is it? Uh, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake and he ran from it. Wise man. 
The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. Let's stop right here for a moment. Let's just stop. I mean, let's take a moment and let's put ourselves into this context. This is Moses who has been out in the wilderness 40 years as a shepherd, okay? You think he has any run-ins with snakes out there? You know, think he maybe knows, he's got a staff in his hand for a reason, because you know, if a snake comes up, he's gonna beat it off with a staff. So he knows, but what type of snake would make a man like Moses wanna run from it? A big poisonous one. And most likely, I would think, knowing that he's going to Egypt, where Egypt, one of their uh, main, their pictures of their God was a cobra. So there's a great picture, most movies or pictures show it as a cobra. There's probably a great chance that this is a, a big snake that he's scared of, and God says, grab it by the tail. I just want you to imagine, let's put this in. Could you imagine today if we said, hey, listen, one of the requirements to joining Shirley Hills Baptist Church is we have a cobra down here on the floor, and you just gotta reach down there and grab it by the tail. What happens to the membership of Shirley Hills Baptist Church? First of all, you're pastorless all of a sudden, like no path, like, I'm not grabbing the thing, right? And this is what God said, throw your staff. So it's one thing to throw your staff on the ground, it becomes a snake. It's a whole nother thing now for God to say, grab it by the tail. But let's kind of go back for just a second. Let me tell you what we see Moses doing and what we're gonna see this text doing. Let me just go and give you the first point. And I think we can learn in what we see God doing. God gives his word, then he reveals his power. God gives his word, then he reveals his power. Look, he tells Moses what to do and then he reveals his power. Hey, what's that in your hand? It's a staff, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground, it turns into a large snake, and then he runs. Then he says, okay, grab it by the tail, and it turns back into his staff. See, when we begin to take steps of faith, when we begin to follow God, it's risky, it seems risky. It seems like a risk to do these things. But when we follow God, you need to understand that if we want to see his power, it starts with us obeying his word. Now what's happening in verse chapter one is something that a lot of us do. Moses is using his past to justify his present. He's looking and he's saying, well, hang on God, you're calling me to go set your people free, to go to Pharaoh and to obey you, but here's the deal. God, these people know who I am. I'm Moses. I'm the one that, like in their eyes, I murdered somebody. I have a past. So first of all, God, why do you think the Hebrews would listen to me? I was raised in Pharaoh's home. I was raised, in, so they're gonna think, oh, we're not listening to this Egyptian. And then why would the Egyptians listen to me? They're gonna say, oh yeah, you're, you're now the Hebrew who murdered one of our people. They're just not going to listen. So what he's doing is he's using his, his background as an excuse or reason why he can't obey God today. Many of you say something like this, Lord, I would be obedient but these people know my background. I would be obedient in my family, but my family knows my background. They know my story, they know where I've failed. So what's happened is you really blew it at some time in your life. And so now you're using it as a, a reason to justify quitting. Like that's it, I'm like, I'm, I'm just gonna quit because I've messed up, I've, I've ran, I've, I've gone through a season of failure. And now you're letting your past failure define if you're presently gonna be obedient to what God is telling you to do or not to do. Let me show you what God does here, and I love this about the text, because I think he is, speaks to our modern culture, I mean, beautifully. Let me tell you what God doesn't do. When Moses begins to make all these excuses, you know what God does not do? He does not speak to Moses' low self-esteem. 
He doesn't come along beside him and coddle him and be like, Moses, it's okay. You know, you're, you're scared and, and this is hard and you don't feel like you're able, but listen, Moses, pick yourself up. Just trust me, like we can do this and, and it's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna work out. And he doesn't speak to his low self-esteem. You know why? Because when we try to find our answer to being obedient to God or doing what God calls us to do, and we try to do that by looking inwardly and trying to pick up our own self-esteem, you know what it does? It actually does worse. It actually makes us feel worse. When you look inward as strength to obey God, it actually leads you to be more, more depressed, more discouraged, and you start looking inside going, oh man, you know what, I really can't speak. I really can't do this. I'm really not strong. I mean, I'm, trying, I'm having a conversation in my head, and I'm trying to talk myself into being able to do this. Somebody encourage me. Somebody make me feel good about myself. Some of you, this was your mindset this morning. You don't feel good about yourself. You don't feel good about your past. You don't feel good about a season of life. You know maybe you haven't done some things right. And so you've said something like this, I wanna go to church this morning and I wanna hear a word that's gonna make me feel better about me. But you know what God does? He doesn't say anything about Moses. He says, hey Moses, I'm not gonna pick up your self-esteem. I'm gonna show you my power. I'm gonna show you that I am who I am. That's what he told him in chapter three. He revealed himself as the great I am. I am who I am. And I'm about to show you who I am. Because for you to put your yes on the table and to, for you to see power and for you to see life change and for you to see things happen, you don't need a better you. You need more of me. Man, this is a great parenting technique. Some of you, you're trying to build your child's self-esteem when what we really need to be doing is showing how often we all fail, but how powerful and how great God is. And he is the solid rock that we can build our life on. Man, we want to put our feet on the rock, which by the way, I was jamming to that song in the back. That ooh-hoo part, I was letting it rip back there. Because what we need to know is that God is powerful and he is good and we can put our feet on him. So what he does to Moses is he says, hey Moses, listen, I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself, but here, what's that in your hand? Is it a staff? Throw it on the ground and let me show you what I can do. Let me show you my power. So he does this by showing three signs. He's gonna give him three signs. He's gonna give him the sign of a snake, the sign of leprosy and the sign of the Nile River. So let's kind of walk through each one. Let's first look at the snake because it's first. Uh, on Pharaoh's crown, the Pharaoh would put a, a crown on his head. And in Egypt, that crown would be a cobra that is wrapped around his head and in the front of it would be the cobra and, and it's like wings out wide and it's, it's mouth open. And any time that Pharaoh would put on that crown, it was a sign of saying, Hey, I'm, I'm a powerful God. As a matter of fact, to the Egyptians, it would be a sign that I'm the most powerful God. It's called a Uraeus. The cobra has represented this sign of Egyptian power and his sovereign rule and, and his power and his might. So what God is telling Moses is, hey, the representation of their power and their might let me show you what I think about that. I want you to throw your staff on the ground, it's gonna become a snake. And remember, he's not only showing him a sign, He's telling him, I want you to do this in front of Pharaoh. Oh, listen, it's one thing for God to show you a miracle out in the wilderness with nobody else around. It's a whole nother thing for God to tell you, hey, and by the way, what I'm doing right now, you're about to go do in front of the most powerful man in the world. And here's what I want you to do. Throw it on the ground and it's gonna become the very sign of their power, their sovereignty, and their might. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to reach down to that snake and grab it by the tail. 
Now, do we have any snake handlers out there? Let me just, is any snake handlers? Let me just say, I'm not, okay? I'm not a snake handling person, preacher. But here's what I do know. When you grab a snake, where are you supposed to grab it? Some of y'all are like, bad question. <laughs> You're never supposed to grab it. You know, like snake, dead. But if you are gonna grab a snake, where do you grab it? You grab it right behind its neck so that you can control it so that it can't turn and bite you. But where does God tell Pharaoh to grab the snake? I want you to reach down and grab it by the tail where this cobra could turn and bite you. But you're gonna have faith in me and here's the picture. You're gonna take the power of their might and their sovereignty and their strength and you're gonna grab it by the tail and by my power, it will be subdued. Man, this would be a slap in the face to Pharaoh. And he says, but this is what I want you to do. Have faith. The power followed his obedience. He threw it down, it turned into a snake. Moses would grab the tail and it would turn back into a staff. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, he does this. He obeys God. He trusts God. He grabs it by the tail and it turns back. Look with me in verse six, what happens. He, well, let me go back to verse five because I want you to see his response to this. He says, this will take place. He continued so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. You're gonna do this so that the Hebrews and so that the Egyptians will know that I've appeared to you. Then he says in six, in addition, the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak and when he had took it out, his hand was diseased, resembling snow. This is leprosy. Then he said, put his hand back inside his cloak and when he took it out, it had again become like the rest of his skin. So he puts his hand in his cloak, pulls it out, leprosy. Puts his hand back in his cloak, pulls it out, he's healed. Let me tell you why this is interesting. Uh, historians show us that they, uh, they actually, the Egyptians had a big problem with leprosy. It had grown so big and, and so powerful that this sickness had began to impact people within the city that if you get leprosy, you die. Now you're not healed from it. There's no disease, there's no cure for it. So here's what Egypt did. They said, we're gonna take all of our brilliant scientists and all our power and all of our sovereignty and we're gonna throw money at this problem and we are gonna cure leprosy. But guess what? They couldn't cure it. There was no cure for it. They still had no cure. And God says, here's what I want you to do as your second sign. I want you to go in front of Pharaoh and I want you to remind him what his wisdom and what his money could not cure. And then I'm gonna show you how I can fix it and heal it and cure it in seconds. You're gonna show him that he is not all wise. He is not all powerful. I am, I have power to heal and you don't. Then he says, let's, let's do another sign. It says, if they will not believe you, in verse eight, respond to the evidence of the first sign. They may believe the evidence of the second sign. And if they don't believe even these two signs or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile. Pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. Now the Nile River was synonymous with Egypt. They believed that the Nile River was like their mother. It provided them life. Every year when the Nile River would, it would go up its, its banks, it would grow larger, it would bring in about 30 foot of, uh, of black dirt and soil every year. So every year when the river would come up, it would bring up this really fertile black dirt, then the water would reside. And what it would do is every year the river would give them enough soil that was good for growing and, and crops and it would give them an abundance of food supply so that they could grow big. And he says, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take what they view as the source of life. 
I want you to take their mother, I want you to put it in a cup, and then I want you to pour it out on the ground. And when it hits the ground, it's gonna turn into blood. I'm gonna show them that the thing that they believe gives them life is gonna turn into death and blood. You're gonna do this in front of Pharaoh. God was showing that he is sovereign, he is all powerful, he is all wise, he has the ability of heal, and he is the one who gives life and the one who takes it away. You see, when you think of America, most people would say, well, freedom. If you go across the world, what do you think when you think of America? Freedom. We're the land of the free. Students, we're the land of the free. In case you didn't know that. Land of the free. We're the land of the free. When you thought of Egypt, in that time, you just immediately went, oh, Egypt, oh, they're the people of the Nile. And we're going to take the Nile and put it in a cup. We're going to pour it out right in front of it, and it's going to turn to blood. I mean, Moses got to be thinking, what in the world? Once again, though, the word came before the power. I'm telling you what to do, then you have to act on it, and then I will show up in my power. God gives us his word, and then he reveals his power to us. I wonder today what word has God given you according to his word? But you're not ready to take it at face value, and so you're missing the power. You're not seeing it happen because you're just stuck on the, well, I'm not throwing a staff down, because I'm scared I'm gonna look dumb if I throw a stick on the ground and nothing happens. I'm scared to death that I'm gonna show up and be like, oh man, watch my hand, and it's gonna come out like a hand. And everybody's just gonna be looking at me going, I'm scared, I'm gonna take a cup of water and be like, watch this, and it's gonna pour on the ground, and they're gonna be like, cool, now what? You're still stuck on the part, so you're just debating in your mind if you're even gonna do this, and so because you're debating, you're just not, you're not seeing his power because you're not trusting his word, and that moves to the second thing. You see, what God desires of us is obedience rooted in faith. He wants obedience that's rooted in faith. What he needed for Moses was not Moses' intellect, ability, skill, power. If he needed all of that, he could have just went and got Egypt to do these things. He didn't. He picked somebody who had a past, who was running, who wanted to be by himself, who was older in age. He, used, he went and picked somebody who had all the reasons who could not do something, and he says, now trust me. Now, look with me in verse 10. I, I love this verse because of what's going on in the passage. Here's Moses' response to this. I mean, if I see all this, I'm thinking, yep, we're about to do some work here. But Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently since you've been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. The Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. If you go back to verse 10, what's happening here is, is pretty interesting. In chapter three, he says, I am who I am. That I am who I am, this name of God, if you look in your Bible at the beginning of, of verse 10, it says the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In that word for God, it is like he's a covenant-keeping God, the, the I am who I am God. All the, in the Old Testament, they would use that word. But there's another word for God, and it's called Adonai. And this is the word that Moses gives in response to God. He's saying, I am who I am, here's my response to you, Adonai, which is translated sovereign master. He says, so think about it, he says sovereign master, you are sovereign, not Egypt, you are my Lord, not Egypt, so sovereign Lord or sovereign master, I'm not able to speak. I can't do this. So you can see God's getting frustrated with him. He's like, I, I put a mouth on humans. I will teach you what to say. I will help you. I will give you the power. He's like, oh, sovereign master. And so look what happens right behind this. Look at what God's response to this is. 
In verse 13, Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. God, just not me. Anybody else, Lord, just not me. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. His anger burned. Now, why would his anger burn here? Why would God, I mean, this is a conversation that's been going on, but now why would God get mad at, at this place? Here's why. There's a, a Christian word that we use called omnipotence. Omnipotence. It means that God is all powerful. He's all powerful. So uh, he's, he's omnipotent. God is all powerful. So right here he's saying, Lord, you are my master. Uh, you are my Lord. You are sovereign. You're all powerful, but... I still don't want to do this. See, he's contradicting himself to God and it frustrates God. He, his anger burns in him because what he's saying is, Lord, you're my sovereign master, but God, I'm, I'm incompetent. And what God is trying to show us here is that it's not about our incompetence. It's about God's omnipotence. It's not about how competent you think you are to do the task. It's about how all powerful the God is that we serve. And he's frustrated here because he's saying, hey, you're my Lord, you're my master, but God, I still don't want to do this because I'm not able. It's what many of us say every single week as we leave church. Yeah, God, you're Lord, you're all powerful, but God, I just, I'm not able. Take, I, not me. I can't do this task. God, take, take my yes off the table. Send someone else because you're focusing on your competence, not on God's omnipotence. You're focused on what you think you're able to do, but you're missing the power of God. God's like, no, now I'm mad. You called me Adonai, but now you're focusing on yourself. How often do we focus on ourselves? What God desires of us is obedience rooted in faith in him. Listen, I want you to hear my heart and what I'm about to say. I'm not trying to be offensive in any way with what I'm about to say. Sometimes the truth is offensive. I was just reading an article um, from a, an organization within our Southern Baptist Convention that writes toward our culture, uh, the ERLC, and they were talking about what it's like to be in a church in the Bible Belt. What's it like to be in a church in what we consider the Bible Belt? And my heart was broken as I read the article, one, because some of what they were saying is, is very true. It's what we see often. In the Bible Belt, every Sunday, there are churches filled with people who have absolutely no mark of Christ on them at all other than going to church once a week. Now, if you're here today and you're just kind of getting back into this thing and you're like, man, I'm ready to follow Jesus and your first step is, is, man, let's come to church every week. We love that. That's a part of our process. We first want to love God corporately. We want to get people to, to church and love God corporately. But then at some point you should move to the next step where you're growing in community with others. You're growing deeper in your walk and in your pursuit of the Lord. But you know what happens in the South? In the Bible Belt, we say something like this. Hey, listen, we just want our church to be doing good. And we define doing good by how many people we have coming to church. So what we say is, hey, we will just settle on having people who just have the mark of at least coming to church on Sundays. And it doesn't really matter if there's no mark of Jesus on your life. Monday through Saturday, as long as you're back in church the next week. I mean, as long as you're, you know, it's not really that big of a deal, but it is a big deal because what God desires of us is obedience rooted in our faith in him. If there's no obedience and no desire to obey him Sunday to Saturday, and then you come to church the next Sunday, what I want to encourage you to do today is, is just draw a circle around yourself and ask this, what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to be a child of God? 
For to be a child of God, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Not that you're perfect or any stretch. Can I get an amen? There's nobody perfect in here but Jesus. But one thing I can say that Jesus does do is he, he takes our heart of stone and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. He puts within us a desire and a passion to obey God in faith, rooted in faith. We are playing a dangerous game when we come and listen and take no active steps toward obedience week in and week out. Come to church, no life change, no active obedience, maybe come the next Sunday, maybe come every other week, maybe come the next month, and then we just repeat the cycle. And in the South, we're good with that. If your Facebook status is that way, and you're just kind of a good old boy, good old girl, and you do it. But when I tell you what God desires for us is much more than that. Much more power, much more life change, much more joy, and much more satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Because what he desires and hopes for us is obedience rooted in faith, that we trust him, and we put our life on the line, and we say, Lord, I will trust in your word, and I will act on your word, and I will live according to your word, because I know you are omnipotent. You are God. You are the great I am, and Lord, I'll trust in you. I don't want to do that. Listen, this is not morality that I'm talking about. We're not trying to raise up a, a lot of people who are just morally good. We know the only good in us is Jesus Christ, but what we are wanting to ask is this. Do you have a heart that is after the Lord? Do you have a heart that Jesus has placed and brought life change within you. It says, Lord, I want to be after you. I want to please you. I want to obey you. I want to seek your face. Or maybe you're here today and you're saying, look, not me. Look, my no is on the table because I have a past. You don't understand. You don't know what my past is like. There's this in the past and there's this in the past. And my, my family knows it. My kids know it. My mom and daddy know it, church people know it, and so you know what, I, I just have to say, Lord, not me. You can't use me because I have a past. Or, or you know what, God, you can't use me because my nose on the table because I'm just not able. I'm not the preacher type. I'm not the leading a D group type. I'm not the evangelist type. Oh my Lord, sharing Jesus with people, that is like, phew, that's a no. I'll pray for those people who are gonna do that. But Lord, not me, I'm just not able. Or, or you know what, God, not me because people aren't gonna listen to me. My wife's not gonna listen to me if I try to start leading my home now after all of these years of not doing it. Or, or man, my children aren't gonna listen to me now after all these years of not following Jesus. Or you know what, my, my workplace or my friends or family, they're gonna laugh at me if now I say, hey guys, the Lord spoke to me Sunday and I wanna follow Jesus and I, wanna, I want my faith to be rooted in obedience to him. I just wanna trust God and live for him. Man, I, I don't think people will listen to me. Or you know what, I think this is dangerous. Like, God telling me to grab the, 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 the tail of a snake? No, I'm good. That, like, God doesn't want me to be dangerous. Like, that sounds dangerous. Lord doesn't want me to risk. Can I tell you, following Jesus, he's gonna call you to take steps of faith that seem risky in your eyes. But the greatest risk you can ever take is to chart your own path for your life. The greatest risk you will ever take is to say, you know what, Lord? I think I can make a better way for my life than you can for my life. And the greatest thing you do is, you know what, Lord, this just, it does seem risky, but I'll trust in you. I will place my obedience and my faith in you. Maybe you'd say, Lord, this is gonna affect my family. You notice the story, it says that he loaded his family up on a donkey and he went to Egypt. God, this is gonna affect my family. This is gonna affect everybody. If I go all in to following Jesus and obeying you, like this, this could be hard, yep, it will. But I promise you, it'll be worth it. And that moves to the last point where the story really kind of starts to change a little bit. So let me give you this third point and let's look at the text. You see, if you follow God, hear me. If you follow God, you will find joy. 
Follow the Lord, and in him is fullness of joy. Let's go to the text and start seeing what happens, because the story gets interesting. It says, then Moses went back to his father-in-law, Jethro, and he said to him, please let me return to my relatives in Egypt and see if they're still living. Now notice he didn't tell his father-in-law the whole story here. I just wanna go back to Egypt and see if my family's alive. He didn't say, hey, I'm about to go face the Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go and I'm about to throw a snake on the ground and I'm gonna grab it and I'm gonna pour water and I'm gonna do this hand trick. He didn't tell him all that. He just said, I wanna go see if my family's alive. Jethro says, go for it, you got it. Now, in Midian, the Lord told Moses, return to Egypt for all the men who wanted to kill. So he first goes to Midian to see family and then from there, the Lord told Moses to return to Egypt for all of the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took God's staff in his hand. The Lord instructed Moses, when you go back to Egypt, make sure you do before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have put within your power. But I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. And you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. Look, I'm about to kill your firstborn son. Now, on one hand, you need to see that Pharaoh is already judged. Pharaoh has disobeyed the Lord. He's been an idolater. He has viewed and made himself as God and created a people that would worship him. And he's already been judged. And God is bringing that judgment through someone like Moses. And then he says, now Moses, I want you to see that you need to tell them, let my people go because they're like my firstborn son. But now I want you to see how the story just really fast makes a turn. And I, I, I bet you, very few of you know about this part of the story. We talk about Moses, burning bush, let my people go, all this stuff, but we don't talk about this little hiccup on the way. Look what happens, verse 24. On the trip, at an overnight campsite, any campers out there? Moses too, he's at an overnight campsite. Got his hookup in, everything's good. It happened that the Lord confronted him and intended to put him to death. Now, Moses is called by God to go and let his people go. Now on the way, he's at an overnight campsite and the Lord is confronting Moses and telling him, I intend to put you to death. Why? Why would God wanna put Moses to death? Here's why. So Zipporah, his wife, took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin, threw it at Moses' feet and said, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. At that time, she said, you are a bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. You're like, whoa, 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 how did this story go from let my people go, follow God, to now we're breaking out some flint and having a circumcision at a campsite? Now, let me just say, there's a lot we don't know about this text, but there's a lot we do know. So let me share with you what we do know and what's happening. God says in Genesis chapter 17 that you will take your sons and that you will circumcise the foreskin and that as a result of moving that excess skin, that will be a visual symbol or representation that you are my covenant people. Now hear me, God took his covenant serious. This is a heavenly promise and he says, you, if you want to live inside of my covenant, you want to live inside of the covenant that I've made with you, here's what you have to do, here's what you have to go about. Now, this is what's interesting. Moses, the person that God is using to set his people free, along with his wife Zipporah, they're walking and Moses is choosing to raise his son outside of the covenant of God. He's raising his son as an Egyptian, not as a Hebrew. 
Now, here's what's, what's interesting about it, is that God comes and says, hey, I'm getting ready to murder you, and immediately Zipporah knew what was going on. She knows immediately, uh-oh, I know what this is about. We are disobeying God in our home because we're not obeying God with our son. And immediately, she steps up, grabs a flint, and obeys God, throws it at the feet of Moses, and says, now we're obeying God. Now we're living in his covenant. Now we're doing what God has called us to do. Now, here we are, and we say, well, what do we do with this? I wanna obey God, I wanna follow God, I wanna live in his covenant, Here's what I think we ought to get to this. Is some of the most miserable, miserable people that I know in life, and some of the most miserable church members I know, are people that's all about themselves. People that live life for themselves. People that come to church for themselves. Maybe even you, you said something like this this morning. Boy, I'm coming to church, and I tell you what, I hope the music is how I like it so I can get something out of it today. I hope it's at the volume level that I like. I hope it's at everything that I like because I, I really want a word for me today. But you know, the church doesn't exist to give you what you want. We exist because Jesus came and lived and died in our place. And in the gospel, we have new life. Church is a celebration of redeemed people that we've been rescued from our sin. We don't exist for us. We exist for the glory of God. So church is a celebration of honoring Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Some of the most miserable people, you are here saying, I want to live life to get something for me. Moses and Zipporah, man, they're living life for themselves. They're going about it their way, doing what they wanted, and now they're being confronted by God. You say, well, what does this have to do with what's going on? Some of you right now, you're hiding a sin, and you think that you can come church on Sunday, celebrate Jesus, and then go back into your home and hide that sin and live outside of what God desires for us, and then everything will be good. Hey, we'll just go hide this over here. Our culture is great about this. We will live how we want to and publicly display a certain way and then hide our sin over here and pretend like we can have both. I can have Jesus and my sin. I can get what I want from Jesus, pick apart with the things I desire and I'll take that. But the parts that I don't wanna obey him on, yeah, no, that's for somebody else, not me. God, I'll take the good stuff, the hard stuff, that's for somebody else. I'll put my yes on the table for blessings, rewards, eternal security, salvation, heaven. We want all that stuff, amen? Yeah, that's an amen part. We want heaven, amen? Yeah, I want all that stuff. We wanna be blessed. By the way, the word blessed in the Bible, in case you're wondering, he says blessed are those, it's happy are those, satisfied are those. We want happiness and satisfaction, amen? Oh, but then over here. He says, mm, here's how you do that, obey me. Follow my word. Take up your cross every day and follow me. Oh, uh, about that, mm, I'm not sure. I tell you what, God, here's what you can have of me. You can have some time on Sunday morning. I mean, you can even have some other areas in my life, but man, for this stuff, I'm gonna keep it to myself. And God so cares about his covenant and his desire for us to be right with him, that he looks at Moses and says, I'm about to come and kill you. And immediately his wife's response was, oh, let's take care of business. Yeah, I, I don't want that. I don't want death, I want God. So we're gonna obey you and we are going to do right. Let me ask you this, is your relationship with God marked by a desire to obey him? A desire to follow him in every area of your life? Not that you're gonna be perfect in it, but you have a desire to follow him and a desire to obey him in this area. Let me ask you, what sin are you hiding right now? What area in your life are you saying, God, not me? 
Not me, because God, if I follow you, that means I'm gonna have to deal with this sin right now. The Holy Spirit of God is showing you areas in your life right now that to follow him fully, there's some areas that the Holy Spirit of God's gonna need to deal with and work out. We all have that area. But a life to follow Jesus is a person that says, Lord, I want you to have every area of my life. I want all. God, I give it all to you. And it's painful sometimes. This is a painful experience. But Lord, I wanna obey you, even in the areas that might seem to bring personal pain. It's better for me to be right with you and walking in righteousness with you. Because here's the deal. When we give Jesus everything, here's what you'll find. There is joy when we follow God. There is fullness of joy when you follow God, when you give it up and say, Lord, I want to follow you. So let me ask you, are you in his covenant or out of it? Are you in a right relationship with him? Or are you in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through the work that he did on the cross? And the Bible says he loves you. He, he loves you, he died for you, and you've received that salvation. Then the Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That the spirit of God is in you and he wants to grow you and empower you. So put your yes on the table and follow Jesus and watch what happens. Do you want the power of God but not wanna be obedient to receive it? Lord, do you want the power of God but not wanna obey him in those areas where his power is gonna show up, where you, God's ready for you to throw the staff on the ground but you're like, nah, I think I'm gonna hold it. Mm, I don't think I'm gonna pour the water out. Not ready for that. Lord, I don't think I'm gonna hide my hand because I'm fearful. I don't wanna look dumb. Students, I know some of you right now, the Lord is telling you, hey, this area I want. I want your Snapchat. I want your Snapchat. Hey, there's some married men right now, God is saying, hey, I want your personal life. I want all of it. And we think we can hide it and then we come in and we're like, I don't know why I'm not getting something out of it. Because you're carrying sin and you think you can have Jesus in sin too. Are you ready to say, God, you know what? I just wanna obey you and I don't want the hidden stuff. I just wanna follow you. I wanna be obedient to you to get it. Are you defined by Jesus? Are you defining yourself by your past experience? Are you saying, Lord, not me because I've got a past. I can't do this, I'm not able. Lord, I'm not able because I've got this story in the past. Or are you scared to look dumb by throwing a, stack, a stick on the ground and nothing happening. So you're saying, you know what, Lord, I'm just not sure you're really gonna come through like you're gonna come through, so I'm just not gonna go for it. I'm just not gonna do it. Listen, I know this, I say it all the time, but it is just a defining thing for my life. I have one life to live. And my intentions in life is not to be the baseball player that wants to bunt all the time. I wanna swing for the fence. We got one shot. One, one time, one life. Man, I wanna spend it obeying Jesus to the very fullest that it can be. And you know what? I would rather look dumb throwing the stick on the ground and watching God show up than to stand there with my staff in my hand saying, hey, look how righteous I am. Look how good I am. You see, there is joy and gladness. There's joy and gladness found in radical submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Man, I pray for my life personally and for our life as a church that we will find joy and gladness in a radical submission to Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life. I know he knows better than me. I fell at this so much. But I know that God knows better and what he has is best. So I wanna submit to him as Lord of my life and trust that as I submit to him, he's gonna work everything out. So what area in your life today have you said, Lord, not me? You can't have, I don't want you to have control of this area. I don't wanna submit to you as Lord in this. I know in the South, it's easy to feel like if I just go to church, I can fool my mom and daddy, 
I can fool my grandma and grandpa. I can fool my husband or my wife and I can fool my kids. But church, we'll never fool God. He knows us. And here's the good news today. God loves you. He loves me. He knew all of my sin. He knew everything that I would ever do that would fall short of his glory. And he says, I I still love you so much. I'm going to come and die for you. And I'm going to give you chance after chance after chance to trust in me and follow him. Church, today is another chance. It's another chance as his people to say, God, in you alone will I trust. We don't want to be like anybody else, Jesus. We just want to radically obey what you are calling us to do. And if we do those things, Lord, you'll take care of the rest. Father, today I pray for our church. Lord, we pray for those who are watching online. We pray for our personal lives. That you would help us to be a people who don't say, not me. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not able. But God, we would say today, Lord, that you are able. I can't, but you can. I'm not, but you are. Great and mighty are you, Lord. There's some things going on in people's lives today I know that just seems so big, it's insurmountable in their eyes. They look at this thing and say, there is no way I will ever get over this. There's no way I'll ever overcome this. There's no way that I'll ever leave the wilderness. I will always be out here stuck shepherding these sheep. And Lord, the good news is that in you, you have our future. You are our hope. You are our strength. So Jesus, would we be a people who radically submit to you and your love and your will for us. I know right now there's some areas in our lives where there's just some things that just seem so extreme to trust you in. And Lord, we're afraid. If we're honest, we're just afraid. God, we're scared. We're scared that it might not work out how we want. It might not lead us to what we want. It might not satisfy like we want. And our fear neutralizes. But today, God, we pray that through the power of Jesus and the power of your spirit, would you move our hearts, that you would be greater than our fear. You'd be greater than our doubt. You'd be greater than our worry. Lord, we need you. Spirit of God, move. Have reign in our church. God, have reign in our community. Jesus, please move in the power of your might and show this world that you are the great I am. You are the one true God and there's no one like you. So God, help us to obey you and then let your power follow. Let us put our yes on the table. Let us throw the stick down. Let us pour the water out. Let us put our hand in the cloak and watch you move that this world will know that we have heard from the one true God that you have spoken to us through your word. You have risen from the dead and you are alive indeed. Help us, God, to radically submit to your lordship. Be our Adonai, our sovereign Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.